Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, episode 129. Thanks for being with us today, making us a part of your day or your morning or your night, whatever. Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks for joining us on the audio side and on YouTube, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page to watch the show. All right. Today's episode 129, the main topic, setting proper goals. Jake, we're going to talk about that today. Speaking of which... Um, Bring in friend, co-host, professionally evaluator, successful business owner, Jake Epstein. Looking forward to setting some goals today, Jim. I am too. I am too. We were just uh, talking about hockey off off, uh, mic here, and we're all fired up, ready to go. Ready to jump from hockey to talking about baseball and hitting and setting proper goals when it comes to your baseball or softball career. I'm very excited to talk about this today. I have a personal, little personal story about setting proper goals for myself in my own life. Again, you peel back the onion little by little every week and you learn something new about your friend Jimbo, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Setting proper goals though, looking forward to that because you can break it down in so many ways and you can compartmentalize how you set proper goals to actually succeed in reaching those goals. Yeah, I always like to you know, use the analogy of, of a stepladder, right? We're, we're taking steps to the, the prized goal at the end. You know, you can't just say, oh, I want to lose 50 pounds, right? It's like, okay, I want to lose, you know, five pounds this month. And then, you know, by next month, I want to be down eight pounds. And so, you know, you build and build and build. And if you follow through with your plan, then hopefully you can achieve your goals regardless of what they are. Yeah, so we're going to talk the main theme today, setting proper goals. I do want to bring up with you the international signings, I think, just occurred. And the San Diego Padres signed Ethan Salas for $5.6 million. I watched some film on him. I watched some film on him last night. And he has some incredible footwork behind the plate. Incredible Mm -hmm. arm. Really good accuracy. I like his swing. Not in love with it. Mm-hmm. But I do like it. I like his bat leg. I like how he gets on plane, stays on plane with the pitch. I do want to ask you, though, when you're doing work for the Brewers mm-hmm. and you're looking at these international prospects, what are some of the things that you look for in these international hitters that may differ from amateur American-born players? So international to amateur American-born players, what are the key differences that you're looking at when you evaluate those type of players? Well, usually it's their age. Um, a lot of times I'll see players that are 14 years old, you know, in their 14 year, 14, 15, sometimes even younger for the initial. So we'll take a look at 14 and then, you know, maybe revisit, um, you know, when they're 15, depending on, you know, are we still interested in this player or um, did they grow a lot? So a lot of times with the international guys, it's forecasting. You know, you're forecasting, okay, their body moves like this now without a lot of muscle on it yet, what will happen when they get bigger and stronger? So the cool part about the the international guys is they're using drop threes already at age 13 and 14. So I don't have to forecast, okay, this kid's using a drop five and hitting bombs. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're going to a heavier bat and then everything kind of breaks down. So plus a lot of them, they're not hitting the ball super far because they're, you know, 140 pounds. So mechanically, you know, my job is a, you know, is, is risk assessment, you know, what needs to be done with these players mechanically to, to see them at the big leagues, not to see them in pro ball, but to see them in the big leagues. That's the goal. Yeah. How would they compare to a big league player of similar build and, and similar um, positioning, you know, similar size. So that's really what I'm doing. You know, there's some players where it's like, that it's going to take a lot of work to get them where they need to be. And then other players, it's like that swing, not that person necessarily, but that swing could play in the big leagues right now. And then you develop around that, right? You develop the other parts of the the game. So uh, the big difference that I see with, with international players of similar ages, if we're talking 15 year olds, we'll just take a round number before they sign. Um, they typically have better upper body mechanics. They I was going to bring that up, and, and I don't want to cut you off. I apologize, yeah. but that was going to be my next point. Mm-hmm. They have, they have, they're so upper body centric, but they have lightning fast hands. And a lot of times, it's the opposite for American born amateur players. It's more lower body centric rather than upper body, and their hands aren't as quick. That comes along a little bit later. But it's the flip side. It's the opposite, right? For international born prospects. Yeah, they're just they just focus on different things. You know, they're they're hitting tees, they're hitting rocks, they're hitting, you know, they're not 
you know, forced to, hey, load your back hip and fire and and turn fast and keep your posture here and, you know, get the weight here. And it's like, okay, try to hit a line drive right there. Try to hit a line drive back to the middle. Try to hit a line drive to right center. Try to hit a line drive to left center. So they're focused more. It's really funny that you say that is that their hands are very, very fast and quick. And yet they, you know, we had a question last week about launch quickness, right? Which is all about, um, you know, loading your, your, your backside and your back shoulder and your hands. And then, um, you know, releasing that, getting the barrel to work very quickly, um, in the swings process where they're very late with their hands, if that makes sense, you know, they're kind of out in front releasing the barrel. There was actually a really cool thing that, uh, uh, oh, what's his first name? Tewksbury. Um, Tewksbury. Bobby. Bo- yeah, Bobby. I always. Big Bob. So, well, there was the pitcher, Bob. right? There was the pitcher. Tewksbury. Spelled Did differently. That? Anyway. Anyway, I always get them confused. Anyway. So, Bobby had the, this. Are you talking about the Bobby Tewksbury hitting guy? Yeah, or are you the talking guy. about Tewksbury, the former big league pitcher the hitting guy they're related are they related i don't, I don't know. think so no i don't care but i, no. I just the hitting guy yeah so the hitting right. guy yeah. you know he posted something some of his stuff's really good like he's a sharp guy and and so he posted something it was like one of those sleeves that slides down your bat to tell you when your barrel is um essentially accelerating right centrifugal mm-hmm. force is what's powering it so he did two swings one where he got it to accelerate by by his head and then he took another swing where it accelerated out in front of his front foot. And if you look at the two swings, one was a barrel dump, which got the centrifugal force out to the edge of his barrel early to, quote, you know, have launch quickness and get on plane early. And then the second one, that barrel was late, you know, and he was swinging down. So it was really cool to see because he was like essentially chopping, you know, probably swinging down at like five degrees, not not a terrible chop. And then the other one, he was probably swinging up at like 20 degrees. And so it shows it showed kind of where the barrel accelerates when you dump the barrel and focus on, you know, your hands and snapping your top hand versus pulling your hands forward, which people would call a push. Um, Mm -hmm. Vladimir Guerrero does it. Um, You know, he's pretty good. So you might want to just copy that hand path. But regardless, it's like you have to figure out, you know, exactly exactly what works best for you in terms of. you know, where do you want to be? And then then you bring in vision on top of that, right? So I've been testing a lot of my players on, you know, where are they focusing on the ball? Okay, so where's the depth perception um, with that said player? So, for instance, um, my kid has to – she likes to see the ball deep. Like, that's her, her vision. Like, when we do the depth perception test, she kind of focuses – um, behind the ball. So the ball gets on her a little bit more. So I have to make sure that her barrel's on plane a little deeper in the zone. That's just her. Do I want her to be on plane deeper in the zone? No, but that matches up with where her eyes are. Um, somebody that, that sees the ball, you know, quicker or their depth perception focuses before an object. Um, those players need to hit the ball further out in front. So their swing plane has to apply to that. So, you know, it's kind of neat to see, but the, the moral of that story of what Tukes was doing was, you got to be somewhere in between those two. Okay. You want, you want that barrel to be accelerating to the ball. What you don't want is that barrel decelerating at the ball. And that's what, at least that's what I got out of his little, you know, basic study was that the barrel was already done by the time contact was made. So if I can accelerate in golf, they talk about accelerating an inch past the ball. If I can do the same thing with baseball, if I can get my barrel to accelerate an inch past the ball, then I'm accelerating through contact. I'm not accelerating um, before contact. All right. Follow us on social media at Jim Tara at Epstein hitting on both Twitter and Instagram for great explanations like that. And apparently somebody let the dogs in. I was going to ask. So was that, that's the, that was the bigger dog. So that was, uh, dog. yes, that was the bigger dog okay. being annoyed by the smaller dog. Oh, I thought it was okay. I thought he was being annoyed by what you, what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was, that was my old 11 year old dog saying, Jake, just shut your trap. We're done. Um, hey, this week on cross functionality at, at Cassie 
uh, at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram of uh, Cassie Riley Bosch and I talked about um, training with intention, right? Training kind of compartmentalizing. It's like the word of the show today, compartmentalizing training, right? When you're training with intention, whether it's warmups, whether it's throwing, we'll keep it from a hitting perspective. How do you train with intention? Kind of goes along with today's topic too, setting proper goals, but how do you train with intention as it pertains to hitting? Yeah, you know, it's having a routine, you're mm -hmm. having a routine that's customized to you. Um, some players need to focus more on extension. Some people, some players need to focus on uh, staying tighter with their turn. So if you have a player that is very tight through the ball, you know, they, they kind of use their body a lot and they don't use their hands, but they also don't cast or get long, then that player, we're, fo we're over-focusing on extension, extension, extension. They're not going to jam themselves. So right. if they mishit 10 balls, nine of those mishits are off the end of the bat versus getting jammed, okay? So that person has their own goals of, of their warm-ups. Okay, you need to use a short bat. You need to do a lot of top-hand drills. You need to do a lot of extension drills, not worrying about your lower body too much. And then if you have a player that gets really long with their lead arm, their first move is to pre-extend and their back elbow is to come down, well, that warm up is hey we got to keep the bat right next to the neck right right on top of the shoulder and you got to feel like you're turning your hands you know in front of getting your hands in front of your body a little bit more to fix that move so yes having a plan for you as a player not necessarily a you know if it's an amateur team of 13 players you know right. not everybody needs needs the same deal all right so again um Cassie and I talked about Training with intention, cross-functionality, subscribe, Apple, Google, Spotify, watch the show on YouTube as well, Softball Strength Academy YouTube page. You can watch this show, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast on YouTube as well, um, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. It's pretty simple. I was on YouTube this week, by the way, yeah. and uh, I, I saw a thumbnail of a game from like 2000. Um, <laughs> and Mike Piazza, who we broke his swing down, I don't know, however, episode, I think it was episode 120. It was a gold edition. We broke his swing down. By the way, we're doing a mechanical breakdown next week, everybody. So get excited for that. Ooh. Um, we're doing Julio Rodriguez. We did get a request Ooh. to do Julio Rodriguez. So we're going to be Ooh. breaking his swing down next week. Mike Piazza, though, this the thumbnail on the video was him at the point of contact on playing with a pitch with perfect leverage. So anytime a coach says, you know, and I still hear this, even in 2023, I still hear this. Don't do what the pros are doing. Don't do what the guys on TV are doing. You know, don't do this. Don't do that. Or you got to do this. Or or he's not really on playing with the pitcher. He's not really swinging this way. He's actually doing this. No, the pictures tell the story. I just wanted to throw that out there. They do. I, I, I right? saw a, oh, man, 12 or 13-year-old kid on Twitter and, you know, oh, see, he's that's the problem right there. You can't be you can't be listening to twelve and thirteen year olds on Twitter. No, I wasn't listening to him. It was somebody posted, like a coach posted. You know. Oh, okay, is, okay, okay. This Sorry. is the kid that we're you know we're working on, and he's whatever. He's a, he's one hundred and ten pounds, right? And he's launching balls kind of off the top of the cage, and it was a tall cage, and so they're like, oh, he's getting ready for the season, blah blah blah, and this is a perfect launch angle. Oh. for a game at 12, 12 years old or something like that. And I'm thinking to myself, he's throwing front toss. The ball's dropping 20-something degrees. yeah. And this kid's launching him like 35 degrees. So he's hitting the bottom half, swinging up, dumping his barrel. As soon as the pitch comes out at a decent velocity, I'm talking like, I don't know, 70 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour, and it's not front toss, like the kid's going to get – dusted and i just wanted to write how about he just hits a few line drives to the back of the cage i was having a, a, a conversation yesterday with um eric chavez we were trading some texts and just he's a friend of the about, show by the way what's eric that chavez he's a friend of the show let's just throw it out i there. mean this is a bit of you know a major a major league player for like 15 years you know he's right. a bench Good coach player. Mets. he's been a hitting coach. the guy knows baseball yeah and we were talking about, you know, by the way, he's going to have fun. Sorry, but he's going to have fun with this year's lineup. He's going to have fun. Yeah. And we were talking about just, you know, how every player is different and what they need to work on and this and that. And we got to the point where it was like, 
there's so many minor leaguers now that can't put a ball on a tee and hit a line drive off the back of the cage. And he's like, that is all I ever did off a tee. That's all. He's like, our big leaguers can do it. He's like, but the minor leaguers are so enthralled with trying to get the ball in the air that they're trying to do that artificially off the tee. And then it trickles down like anything else, right? It trickles down to the lower levels where kids are trying to draw. Every time I have a new student, right? Have a new student, I set them on the tee and I say, I just want to see how you work. Put it on the tee, hit it. Nobody like just drives nice low backspin line drives to the back of the cage that you see like Nelson Cruz all day long, right? On, on social media doing that. That's all he works on. They're hitting it to the top corners of the cage the top of the cage and then they're top spinning it to the pull side. And then I go to front toss and boom, here come now all of a sudden all of that is uh, magnified and they start hitting it even higher and higher or lower and lower. So it's sad that we just can't, you know, we, we, we just overdo things as a society yeah. when sometimes simple is easy and, and, and circling back, that's what the, the Latin players do. They simplify hitting at young ages they're not trying to get crazy. They're just trying to essentially hit a line drive through the back of the cage over and over and over and over again. And by doing that, you become like a Vlad Guerrero Jr. swing plane, and then you grow into it. So he has a flat swing plane, very flat, but he can sit back and adjust that to swing up a little bit more. But if you have somebody who drops their barrel and swings up a lot, it is so difficult to get that player to flatten out and swing down more than what they're doing. It's always easier for me to take somebody that's too flat, zero degree attack angle, five degree attack angle, and get them to come up through it a little bit more. Okay. I do. And if yeah. we if we don't, then it takes months and months and months to try to fix that. I was gonna say I do wonder with the T if the base when you're training with a T, and I'm not a big T guy because mm -hmm. I had own, I developed own, my own bad habits when i played mm -hmm. and you know that i mean with the t mm -hmm. but i think the t is worthy in that if you have a base for what you're trying to do with that t and not just swinging off of it right willy-nilly so for yes. example if you're on a t and you're trying to just hit a line drive right back up the middle and hit the back of the cage on a line line drive with backspin you mm -hmm. can tell you don't need a machine to tell if it's backspin or topspin if that's your base for training with a t then I think you're on the right track. Then forget forget soft toss. If you can hit yeah. 10 line drives in a row right back up the middle off a tee, line drive with backspin, hit the back of the cage, then you can go to front toss, and that's when you can start to, to progress. Yeah. So I think that should be kind of the base when it comes to hitting off a tee. I don't Correct. know. Some people, get, some people rely a lot on the tee. Like there's some old school players out mm -hmm. there. Jeff Fry comes to mind, for example. All he talks about the tee, tee, tee. I use tee, tee, tee. Well, you can overdo it at times. But I think yeah. the base should be, okay, Line drive right back up the middle, hit the back of the cage. And the tee can be bad because yeah. a lot of times we're not hitting in a full cage off a tee. We're hitting into the side of a net, and we don't really know. See, that's, I mean, I that's know, where I, I think can... – yeah, and I that's where I think it, it it doesn't really do any good for the hitter. I think it does right. more harm than good, right? I think you have yeah. to hit off a tee the length of the cage. That's yes. it. It's like doing suicides for half court. You know, yeah. no, you don't in basketball, you don't do suicides in practice, half court, you go full court. That's suicide, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with hitting off a tee. Yeah. No, I agree. And the tee yeah. is a good warm up, but a tee doesn't need a friend, you know? And that's that that's the difference in today's society, is you know, uh we we don't have a lot of friends. You know, kids go kids don't go hang out with other kids in this in the street. Um, I didn't have any friends just because people didn't like me growing up. But I don't know. gosh, I remember the amount of hours I would spend at oh, what was the name of the high school? I was young. I think it was Tribuco Hills High School when I lived in Southern California. I didn't go. You know, I wasn't in high school. I was like eleven or twelve. This is like Nick Punto and I, and then there was a couple other guys. Jason um, used to always come with us, and it was a tennis, but a lot of people play handball in it. It was a giant concrete outdoor. I don't even know how to put it. Like wall think about a racquetball court that was a little bit and was all concrete and all day long we would just throw the ball against the wall and try to pick it like how fun is that you remember playing wall ball as a kid it too? was wall ball it was yeah, essentially you play wall, wall ball, ball. and then yeah. if, it, if it hits the person you, you try to throw as hard as you can at their back and try to we tag them that one get butts up if you beat him butts to the up, wall right. or something like that yeah so it was like one of those things. But we, when I was bored, I would just go up there and I'd throw the ball off of it and try to pick it. And 
Uh, people don't do that anymore. So the good part about a tee is you don't need anybody. You got a tee and a bucket of balls. Go do your own work. Yeah. You, know, you don't need dad. You don't need mom. You don't need friends. You can just get it done. But again, most people don't know how to do it. You know, if you're 10 years old and you're just rolling over balls off the tee, oh, I took 100 swings today. You know, that's that's not a very good thing. And I see that a lot. Like just even the 12 year old team that I help coach, you know, a lot of them don't hit off the tee the right way. And so that's part of the training is I'm trying to get them to, if you're going to work, make sure you're working the right way. You know, I, I'm never going to two points. I'm never going to let my kid hit a moving ball until he can hit or she can hit five line drives, depending on the age, five or 10 line drives back up the middle, hit the back of the cage. Yeah. If you can't do that, you're not hitting a moving ball because you're not ready for it. And your mechanics are all off. You got to get the right mindset. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, I don't know how you see. Here's another conundrum that we run into. I have three things. Number two, I don't know how you use a T on the field properly. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. it's more of a T should be more of an indoor thing. But how do you progress when you? Number three, I don't know. How do you do that? How do you progress? I mean, you know what I mean? Um, how do you, so how do you move on? How do you how do you go using the T outside properly and then moving on to actual live pitching? So you go from I go from T to front toss to to live. But how do you know the T swings are good because you're on a field? Are you like hitting at home plate on a field? Yes. Yeah, that's hard. Right. Yeah, you're gonna hit a line. Try to hit second base. Okay. So try to hit second. We used to stand behind uh, second base. Like this was in minor league ball, in pro ball. We would stand. I think it was on the dirt. Probably no. Probably yeah. Probably behind second base on the dirt. And we would hit back into the shell, into the BP, you know, turtle. Okay, so you stand behind second base. Behind second base and hit back towards the catcher. But are you on the grass or are you on the back edge of the dirt? Back edge of the dirt. Okay. So it's 140 feet or something. I don't know, something like that. To, and we would try to hit like the the rubber piece on the, you know, we number one, you try to hit it in the shell. Mm -hmm. If you didn't hit it in the shell, then you probably hit it on the in the backstop somewhere right or the, in the stands right. so you would try to hit a low line drive but it couldn't bounce that would have top spin so we used to we used to hit backwards and try to hit it into the back of the uh, batting practice cage the turtle shell yeah okay. so that's one way to do it if you're on the field at home plate you're trying to essentially hit a ball at, at the bag at second base in the air now if you're okay. bigger and stronger it can go further like i watch dj lemay do it most people don't use a tee out on a full field because then what do you do you know, I'm going to try to launch it in the left center gap, right? And that's cool, but, you know, Doesn't how do, do we do that? Probably not going to backspin it till you're going to have to drop and kind of lift it off of the tee. Remember, the, when the ball's not moving, a perfect attack angle would be zero degrees, right? The ball's sitting at zero degrees. So off a tee, you have to have a much flatter swing than you would in a game to do it properly. So... Anyway, you want your launch angle to kind of match that. If you're start, starting to drop balls, you know, 25, 35 degrees off of a tee, then you're doing something artificial with your mechanics to get that ball in the air. If the ball is dropping 10 degrees from pitcher throwing to you, and then you swing up 10 degrees and hit the bottom of the ball, it'll launch at 25, and then that's okay. All right, my third thing. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. We're no, going to cover every possible aspect of hitting today. Uh, great explanations. I just want to get this out because – it relates to a point you made about going down to the park or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of you in like a leather jacket, like in the outsiders, you know, that book, you know, Ooh. the movie, the outsiders yeah. or like in Greece, you know, you're going yeah. down to the, we're going outside. We're going down to the, mm -hmm. that's what I'm picturing. Um, kind of. Anyway, I think I've told this story on the show before about the tennis courts I had outside of my neighborhood when I was a yeah. kid, my dad named it, named it the, um, the death death dome or whatever because we would okay. play hockey there I'd play hockey there with the neighborhood kids and and we would like check each other into the, into the fence and then we would take the tennis net down and we there were these um big green cylinder tubes on either side where you could pretty much if you run into them you're really going to get hurt nobody ran into them and luckily right. nobody got hurt but that's what it used to be like now it's just hey look on my phone look at this tiktok it's oh, true right yeah. Right? Nobody goes outside. I, I, nobody. I don't see anybody. I live in Florida, right? The weather's always pretty good. I don't see kids outside at all. And I live in a residential neighborhood. I don't yeah. see any kids outside playing. Nobody. Nobody. It's incredible. I know. 
Well, we're not here to solve the world's problems. No, so, we're so, not. But the phone, you know, the phone has ruined society. Um, you... oh, I, I, I have to bring this up too. Last night, watching this hitter right on you on film on YouTube, mm -hmm. and this hitter, you know, he doesn't have a pretty swing, or he does. Okay, it's not pretty, but he just hits. Nothing yeah, about him okay. is pretty. He just he's just a hitter, right? Yeah. He's got four things that I noticed though when I, I did some real real analysis last night for about for about 45 minutes watching this kid over and over again. He's got four things. Timing and vision. I wrote them down too. So I didn't forget. Swing plane, approach, and making the ability to make adjustments, confidence. <laughs> what are those things? You remember? <laughs> Jimbo's four pillars of hitting. Now, do you know who that player was? I, I, was it an amateur player? Was it a big league player? Sal Freelich, baby. <laughs> Sal Freelich. I'm going to tell you something right now. Moving up the list. Yeah, he I'm can... not, when I, I knocked it out of the park with him. I'm, I hit it. I hit that 450 feet in my evaluation. I, I couldn't have been more right about him. I'm telling you, he's got a great. Don't strain your shoulder, pat yourself. He's going to be a great player. He's going to be better, a better hitter than Brandon Nimmo, and that was my comp for him. So thank you, Sal. That's you made me look comp. really good. Yeah, yeah. I think he has. Uh, I think he has a better swing plane than than Nimmo does. Um, time will tell what his grittiness. But I'll tell you. I mean, the guy. You're right about confidence, adjustability, and swing plane. He does all of those things. He may not have a ton of power. No, because he's not a huge guy. But that's not his role. His on-base percentage is... His on-base percentage is going to be high. He's going to put the ball in play. He's going to hit the ball hard. He's going to find a lot of barrels. As he gets older and more mature, he'll be able to harness that power a little bit and you know maybe anticipate pitches a little bit more um, to, to drive. But yeah, I think that was a really good draft pick. Yeah. I just, it made me feel... I looked at his numbers too last night. It just made me feel good. Mm -hmm. And then I look back when we did a mechanical breakdown on him. Look back at some of my notes that I said about him. Mm -hmm. All right, I can see you're getting annoyed. I'm done. Sorry. No, sorry. there's right. another guy that I, I probably shouldn't say his name. Don't say his name, but you can allude. Okay, so there's this player, um, and he showed up on my list of a, a lot of players that, whatever, are going to get drafted this coming year. Yeah. And this player plays at a Division One program. He's a college player. He is the son of a uh, major league former major league player that you know was an everyday player for a pretty decent amount of time all right and now mind you he, no more no more biographical notes i don't want to get you in trouble no and but if you look at I, I his swing plane was amazing his efficiency was amazing and when um i looked at his stats or somebody sent me his actual stats so i try not to look at stats when i'm doing my reviews to be mm -hmm. biased you know like oh this guy maybe he just had a good year or maybe he just had a bad year but he has yeah. he, he still moves it pretty good. He struck out, I think, less than a dozen times or something like that at the college level. Wow. That's like a weekend. How many at bats? Full season. Well, how many is that in college? 200? Yeah, 150 yeah. to 200. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was mind-blowing, but totally matched what when we talk about Freelick and his swing plane, like he's going to run into a lot of balls. So when you have a swing plane like that and you're efficient, meaning you're not long to the ball and then you're kind of, you know, you stay on plane. Usually that doesn't happen, but then you stay on plane really long. You make a lot of contact. This was, he was super short and efficient so he could wait a long time to make up his mind. And then once he did put his swing on, you know, it was in the contact zone for a long time. So, and again, not a ton of power, um, but also not a massive guy. You know, so you have to, but amazing stuff. Like you don't see that anymore. I mean, 12 strikeouts are, there are first rounders last year that got drafted in college that may have struck out 12 times in a week. Yeah. Right. Struck out 12 times in five games, four or five games. No problem. Still first rounder. Pretty impressive that that ability and, and people still work on that. And there's a former, uh, a kid of a major leaguer. Right. And there's a lot of them out there. I just saw uh, Manny Ramirez, one of his kids. He's got a lot of kids. Um, not Manny Jr. He's got to be pretty old now. But I don't know what this what his son's name. He's a left-handed hitter. He's going to go to Miami next year, University of Miami. He committed, you know, and 
It was funny. He didn't look anything like Manny. His older son that was big, I think he was actually taller than Manny, you know, had kind of his leg kick. He was right-handed. He was kind of up. It was kind of cool to watch. Like, that's his kid. Um, this kid was left-handed and squatty, you know, at a crouch stance and, and a really nice swing. So, But it's it's interesting to see what sons of major leaguers, how they swing and what they're taught and what they work on versus, you know, people that just take their kids uh, to – the local guru, you know, and, and, and then what they're taught versus, you know, what Manny's teaching his kid or what. Well, it's like Vlad Jr. He doesn't look any really, he doesn't have, certainly doesn't have the approach of his father. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot, that's a lot different. Right. Yeah. Maybe the mechanics are a little different. Did I say Vlad Jr. or did I say Manny? No, you said Manny. No, you said Manny, but I'm bringing up Vlad as an example. Uh, Yeah. Kevin Biggio too, by the way. Kevin Biggio, same thing. Yeah. Not not even close. Not even close to Craig. Right. You know, I think even Kevin Bichette, has more not even Kevin, close. right? And and Kevin has more of a longer swing. He tries to hit for more power, where his father was more of a contact guy. Kind of at times, you know, he's not a, he was wasn't afraid to just slap it, hit it off the end of the bat, slap it, and go the other way. Soft line drive, you know. Grappy, where Kevin yeah. is more kind of, you know, we'll get into him right now, but and his uh, issues at the plate. But you, you yeah. get my point. I mean, the yeah. approaches though with Vlad Jr. The approaches and, and probably how they grew up practicing yeah. was very similar to what their their dads did. Yeah. All righty. Uh, episode 129, email us your questions, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you can reach out to us at Jim Tara and at Epstein Hitting. You playing with the dog right now? Yeah. She needs a little love. Now, Mom's out of that, town. Oh, that's Uh-oh. the new one. Well, she's got the hand on the microphone. Hand on the mic. That's, I mean, that's pretty adorable. She's gonna eat the wow. mic. Wow. Yep. Okay. You're good. You're done. <laughs> yeah. Mom's out of town, so I gotta take care of the dog. Wait. So mom's out of town. Everybody's out of town. No, just uh, oh. Viv and myself are in town, eating okay. good. We're eating. We practice every day. Really. We had steak last night. Did you really? Steak, you- mushrooms, and. How'd you grill broccoli? It? How did What's you that? grill the steak? It was so good. So was I grill it. I get a thick New York. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And then I put it on the smoker on low smoke, like 210 degrees. And I'll smoke it for like, I don't know, until the internal temperature gets to 115. And then I sear it in a cast iron skillet until it gets to 125 which is about three minutes on each side and then let it set and it's like perfect medium rare medium and so medium you rare. you okay so you put the skillet on the grill i did it was snowing yesterday so <laughs> i had the cast iron skillet on the gas stove which is still legal the, here in colorado the, okay for the time being. so you don't use because i know people i don't yes i know people who use a skillet on the grill i have a cast iron plate on the gas on my big outside gas grill yeah you could use that okay. too to do it i was telling viv last night i should do a video of it because it's i started doing it like a year or two ago and it's yeah. like the best steak ever so we should add like grilling tips like yeah weekly outline. we'll put it here first I'll so you don't put chop it up so you put the, the you don't reverse put the steak. sear method okay do you put the steak just straight on the gas grill no so it's on a pellet smoking grill okay so it's smoked oh, okay. so i know i season to, it yeah. first i dry it off as much as possible to get all the, the moisture off of it. And then I'll, you know, salt and pepper it pretty good. And then I'll let it sit so that the salt essentially soaks into the meat. Wait, it's like, and, why don't you just marinate it then? Well, I don't want to marinate. I don't want to. Why not? I don't want like crazy teriyaki or anything like that. All right. You go could, ahead. you could, you could, you could do that, but then that takes away from the smoke flavor. Okay. So if you marinate, you don't need to smoke. And then you just low low heat that thing, get some smoke flavor, not too much, just enough, mm-hmm. um, so it doesn't take away from the meat. But it cooks it slow, so the fat inside, you know, stays in there. It doesn't like drip out too fast. And then at the end, you sear it on the cast iron skillet, skillet, then make it, then let it rest for a little bit. And it's just wonderful. All right, I got I got to try this. It's, it's good. I'll make a video next time. We'll send yeah. it to you. The next time I'm in Tampa, you never know. I might be in Tampa soon. Don't yeah, I'm know. waiting for you to come come by. And I know. Say hi. People, 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 uh, people like Tampa. They do. I know. They do. As evident by the housing market that is going way too expensive. So thanks everybody for moving here. Appreciate yeah, I know. It. Um, it was five years ago. Was... You're the new Colorado. Yeah, we. Right. Yeah. Um. 
All right, we'll you, get into the, you get today's, the New Yorkers. today's episode. Um, episode 129, um, setting proper goals. That's our topic. Oh, yeah. And I teased it earlier. I had a family, extended family member, not my parents or sister. Won't go into too much detail, but I, I'd say the last 10 years, I guess. Uh, I would talk about my goals with him, more like goals that I had just in conversation and, and passing. And I always get the condescending um reaction right oh you, you know that'll never what's your what's the plan here you'll never do that blah, 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 blah. And it was always it had negative it had a negative force field if you will around that condescension mm -hmm. and i just got tired of it and i cut that person off and i'm glad i did that's good um so and it brings me back to what you said last week with pete alonzo and the professor telling him this is not a realistic goal <laughs> by the way pete alonzo was in his hometown of tampa this past week plant high school yeah which um i like the high school don't like the kids there because all they do every time they're off is go to the fitness center where I, where I work out and I won't say what it is. It rhymes with runch ritness and they, they take up all of the space. It's like, uh, I, it's like all the high school kids are there at the same time. It's like, yeah. God damn it. Would you just well, we go got a period off, man. And um, anyway, Pete Alonzo was in Tampa this week. He was hitting some bombs at Plant High School, and there were a lot of people watching, a lot of people looking up to him. And that professor at Florida said it's not a realistic goal for him was wrong. Now, I think there are ways you can set realistic goals and get to that bigger goal. But if you want to set a huge goal, a goal that is astronomical, and my goals, by the way, weren't even that really all astronomical. They were just regular goals for myself. But the condescension came through, and that's when, done, see ya. But with Pete Alonso, for example, kind of comparing apples and oranges here, saying, I want to be a major league baseball player. Okay, that's great. You're setting a goal. That's your main goal. Right. But now it becomes to, down to setting the proper goals and being able to take those steps, whether it be big steps, small steps, little by little, and achieving that main goal. So that's the point of today's episode is getting people to understand how to set proper goals to reach you know, that main goal that's circled on your imaginary whiteboard in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some people, you call them a dreams, right? I mean, where do you see, it's almost like a five-year when people say, where do you want to be in five years? You know, if you ask a, a high school kid, where do you want to be in five years? You ask a 12-year-old, where do you want to be in five years? Or however, you know, you have to create a journey to get yourself there, okay? You say, I want to be a uh, starting shortstop for a college baseball team. Okay, that's that's a that's a good goal. I mean, you can narrow it down to a Division One, to hey, maybe I want to play a division. I want to be a shortstop at Stanford University. Okay, well, let's break that down into what do we do over the next six months to get there. Well, number one, you better get your GPA up. Number two, you better take an SAT prep class to get that number as high as possible. Number three, you better get bigger and stronger. Your nutrition. And number four, you better work on your your technique, whether it's hitting or fielding or throwing. So you can break that up into all these little mini, mini, um, I guess you could call them goals. But, proximal goals. Right? Yeah, proximal mm -hmm. goals. And, and you now dedicate your time to that. Okay, now this is where we want to be in six months. What am I going to do this week to get there? Okay, well, I want to, you know, consume, I need to consume an extra, whatever, 8,000 calories per week. Okay, so how am I going to do that? Okay, well, I'm going to, I got to add in an extra meal each day, you know, an extra whatever, you know, amount, 500 calories each day, 600 calories each day. And, oh, wait a second, I'm working out more, so I'm going to burn those calories. So now I got to have an extra 1,000 calories a day, yeah. you know, to make up for all the workouts that I'm doing. So, yeah, you can break that down and get as detail-oriented as you want, but it's not just, hey, you know what, I want to be a Division One baseball player or a Division One softball player. It's what is the process to getting that? And that process includes, like you said, you know, proximate goals, short-term goals that are achievable. If you just have one big goal and you don't have short-term goals that are achievable, then you're going to get frustrated and you'll become pessimistic and then it doesn't work. So that's why I said, you know, hey, I want to lose 50 pounds. Okay, well, well let's goal see should if be I can... Specific, observable, and, and measurable, Yeah, right? Those small, yeah. 
goals and turning them into shorter term goals that reach the long term. Okay, you want to be a starting shortstop at Stanford. Okay, well, right. now let's research what all that entails, not just on the baseball side, but also on the academic side. What does your GPA need to be? What does your SAT score need to be? What kind of references do you need to get into that school? Yeah. Because again, playing college baseball at a really good Division One institution is a lot harder than, say, playing at a Division One institution when it comes to football or basketball. Because meaning getting into that school, right, or yeah. getting a lot of money to play baseball at that school, because baseball is not as big of a revenue generator as football and basketball. Yep. Yeah, you're going to need academic money first right. and foremost. You're going to get a lot more academic money than you're likely going to get athletic money, unless you are a freak. Okay, if you're a big freak and you're one of the best five to ten players, I mean, outside of Florida, Texas, and California, but if you're you know, the top player in your state or one of the top three players in the state, then you might get some pretty good athletic money. But if you're not, then you can still play at a very, very high level, but you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> and by paying for it, you can do that by having quality test scores and, and volunteer work and endowments and getting scholarships on your own in the area. So, you know, sometimes you have to figure out, you know, where, where, where are my parents in this? How much can they afford for college? Do I need to take out extra student loans? Do my parents have, you know, a thousand dollars, you know, or ten thousand dollars a year they can support? Well, college is going to be, you know, fifty-five thousand dollars a year. Okay, so I'm either going to go into debt, or I'm going to have to figure out a job, or I'm going to have to get as much scholarship money as I can. So, you know, and then how do we attain that? Okay, maybe I need to get a job. Maybe that's maybe that's on my uh, instead of four pillars of success, now I have five to to get to where my goal needs to be. So we were doing it was fun yesterday. Vivian, we were hitting yesterday. It was kind of easy after school, no practice, and and she's like, "Hey, can I see what my swing was like last year?" And so we had the hit tracks and we pulled it up. And so our goal this year was actually this off season, right? The last three or four months was two handed follow through. We were kind of getting away. She was starting to lunge a little bit and getting, you know, she would let go almost right at contact sometimes, right? So powering through to our, we've done so many extension drills this fall. So doing that and finishing higher because her front arm would collapse after contact because she wasn't super strong and whatever. So she doesn't know that she's making these adjustments, but she's hitting the ball further and harder and she's growing. So that helps. But when we pulled up those two swings, it was like, oh my gosh, like that was you a year ago. So when you can have that, Hey, this was our goal was what two hand follow through, make sure we get to a positive a power V position and let's sit back a little bit more. And then you show that this is what we've been working on for like the past four months. This is where you were a year ago. This is amazing progress and it makes you feel good as a person. It's just like this was my squat six months ago and this is now I'm squatting, you know, 45 pounds more now. That makes you feel good. It releases endorphins. I achieved my goal. Now we can go ahead and reassess and 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 possibly get more. My my cousin who goes to Sawyer, who goes to Harvard, he's the one in all the video examples um, when he was a kid on the Epstein Online Academy. You know, he is a really smart guy, right? So he went and got, I don't know, I think it was a 31 on his ACT without studying because he's a he's a jerk. It's crazy. <laughs> he has that right. And so Harvard said that's like the bottom. He's and they said if you can get a 33 or a 32, one more point, I don't remember if it was one or two more points, then whatever it qualifies you for boom, 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 boom. So he studied for it and he actually had a good night's sleep before and a breakfast. And then he went out and got like a 33 on it. And all of a sudden it gave him a lot more. So as, as a, as a student, we have to, you know, figure out what's like, maybe that one extra point on the SAT, maybe fighting for that. A, I mean, I don't know. I was that B plus a minus student a lot in high school and I had to fight for those A's. It probably made me a good salesperson, you know, or maybe it didn't. Um, but I would be like, I worked so hard on this come on, it's a half a point, you know? And then my daughter, my middle daughter's in high school and she got a B plus because she had an 89.4. Yeah. And they would have rounded up at an 89.5. I'm like- So they double something. rounded up. Right. I'm like- <laughs> they, went, they went 89.4 to 89.5. Oh, round it up one more to 90. Round it up. Like you you need to go. That is big. Go tell it. Look, Time, I'm times trying. have changed. I'm working my butt off to get to college. 
this is really big for my GPA. I want to go to a good school. I want to do this. That teacher's going to, wow, this person really cares. And they're good. <laughs> One piece of advice, know your teachers, know your professors when you get to college. They'll always give you the benefit of the doubt if they know you're working. If you're not, there you working, go. If you're not working, athletes. it That's doesn't great, matter. But advice. I'm telling you, if I, my hardest, we may have talked about this, but my hardest class in college, I don't know why they put me in this class my freshman year, was like music history. Music yeah, I something. Either. I don't know anything about music. My parents yeah. never put me in a piano class. I didn't play an instrument. I don't know what notes are. I don't know what the language is, the, you know, reading music. And they put me in this class and everyone's like a music major. And I don't know what's, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And, the, and I failed. The, I bombed the midterm. Like I probably had a 40%. And I'm telling you, I studied like crazy for it because I knew it was going to be hard. So I went in and talked to the teacher and he was the coolest guy. And he realized, he's like, so you've never had any musical experiences? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm learning this like a new language. He's like, okay. And he totally helped me out. And then I think the final, I took the final, I think I got like a D (laughs) probably. Like he saw improvement and he knew I worked at it. And he totally gave me like a C in the class or a B in the class. I don't remember, but I passed it. It's all I needed. Yeah. So know your professors. They will help you out. And I'm glad you brought up classes uh, that you don't know anything about either. That's not good. No, no. Life lessons. We've all been there. Um, I'm glad you brought up, though, with Viv, talking about comparing the swings from last year to this year. That's another point I wanted to bring up, performance and technique goals, rather than just overarching goals. Talking about, okay, Performance technique, what are we trying to accomplish that day in the cage with our performance? For example, talked about it earlier on in this show about 10 swings, 10 line drives right back up the middle off the tee, hit the back of the cage. That's your main goal today. Let's achieve that first. And we take that small little step, performance and technique goals. Yeah. And it's it's small. It could be one thing. Hey, let's not step out. You know, maybe I have a player that just steps out all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they pull off with their stride. I don't care about your swing plane. I don't care if we don't barrel anything up. Let's spend this week you doing this. We're going to do it now. We're going to, and you're going to do it at home every single day this week. It's, it's low impact to you five minutes or less a day. When you come back next week, I want that fixed. I want to be able to move on to your top hand. I want to move on to your rhythm. I want to move on. So if you have four things that we're working on as a hitter or as a fielder or whatever, you know, you're, you're working on, you can't work on four things at once. You have to divide that. Look, you know, let's let's take our time. Yeah, you might have games starting in three weeks, but what's the most important thing for us to get down? You starting to move at the right time. Right. It's all I wanted you to do. If you can start moving on time by the time, you know, uh, games start, boom, we're good. And then once you start moving on time, okay, let's focus a little bit more on staying connected or making sure we don't get long with our lead arm. Okay, let's work on that. But if we're constantly going back and, and what I use, the analogy I use is you got to put stitches in it. Okay. If you're stepping out all the time, well, if you're thinking about stepping in, you can do it. But if you don't get the proper reps over and over again, then when, as soon as you don't think about it, as soon as you're not consciously competent or conscious of that move, you won't be competent. So we got to put stitches in there. Boom. You step out. Okay. We're going to spend, maybe it's two months, three months, not stepping out, boom, we put stitches in it. And now I never have to worry about it again, right? It's all healed up. Yeah. But if we have a gaping wound and we're just kind of putting a Band-Aid on it, that wound's going to keep opening up every week. So take that one thing, take that one goal, right? That one short-term goal that is the first rung on your ladder to get to the top goal and master it. Because if you don't master that first one, you're going to keep slipping up and down that ladder and you're never going to make it to that top goal. Like evaluating what works and what doesn't work as well in those goals. And so then you can make the adjustments on the fly. Absolutely. Cause you're going to fail. Like some, some aren't going to, you know, not everybody's going to get a 33 on an ACT. No. Right. But if you started with a 19, let's see if we can get to a 21. Isn't 19 bad though. I don't think 19 is too bad. 19 will get you into college. Okay. As an athlete. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, 19's okay. Right. 21's better. I think 21's about average. It's funny. 21 was my number, pretty much my number growing up. My favorite number, too. That was, oh, okay. I didn't know if that was your ACT number. And it's my my birth date. 
21st of August. And it was your 21's best average. birthday ever. <laughs> 21's average. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, I guess. I guess that's the, that, <laughs> that explains it all, doesn't it? It does. All right, hold on. In 2022, the national average was a 19.8. So, okay. So 21 would be slightly above average. Correct. Based off those statistics. Basing off of all the people tested. How many people, what was what was the sample size? I don't know. Okay. In Alabama, it was 18. In Alaska, it was 20.6. Okay, but let, let's, okay, so, but let's, okay, no disrespect Colorado to Alabama. We have listeners in Alabama, but. Okay, 26 let's, let's, was Connecticut. Okay, better. Like, let's let's go bigger states. Florida, what was Florida? Is there, everybody lives in Florida now. What does that start with, an F? Florida, 19. Georgia, 21. Good either. Georgia, Hawaii, 21. like Alabama. Hawaii New York was high. California, California. That's good. There's a lot of different uh, pieces. What's California? Oh, 26. Okay, but there's more people there. Yeah, but there's also more people that don't go to college. Maybe they don't take it. What about the District of Columbia? 26.9. Oh, please. That, I think that's the highest. Yeah, fucking break. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I think that we touched on everything today. Episode 129, <laughs> setting proper goals. Did we not? We literally touched on, like, everything. Everything about life. I think we did. Yeah. Anyway, the average, sorry, the average nationwide is 19.8. Okay, so 21, just so we know, for the record, slightly above average. Yeah. I'll take it. If you're a good college athlete, 21 is going to get you into most places. Next week, Julio Rodriguez, Mechanical Ooh, Breakdown that's Series. Quality. Huh? That's going to be a good one. Okay. I, I haven't really dissected his swing. Yeah. So Julio Rodriguez, Mechanical Breakdown Series, Volume 38, I think. That's next week. Our first one of 2023. Any plugs yeah. you want to you wanna get in here before we get out of here? Uh, plugs, yeah. Uh, talk about goals that's what we do at the epstein online academy what is the most important thing like my my speech about what's the most important thing right now that's exactly what i do with all my players nationwide okay what's the most important thing for you to master right now when you're nine i got some eight nine-year-olds in there that are studs and then i got 18 20 i just got a new college kid from california that's in there what's the most important thing for him to accomplish before the season starts so if you're unsure, that's the best thing about the the platform. If you're unsure what you need to work on, rhythm, timing, mechanics, that's why you send in a video. And then I can tell you what the most important thing is and how to address it. So I pick this, I picked the perfect title of today's episode is what you're trying to say. That was your short-term oh, goal was what what episode should we do, you know, for the week right. of January 23rd. And it was perfect timing. Perfect timing. Yeah. It really is. This is goal 21, baby. 21. Yeah. Slightly above average, my ass. Get <laughs> out of here. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Maybe you had a 1500 on your SAT, though. Uh, you know what? You'll not, nobody will ever know. No one will know. Because that's the mystery of it all. Fun part of life. All right. We're finished. Um, episode 130 next week. Be sure to subscribe. Reach out to us on social media. Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. Have a great week. Talk to you next Monday. See you later.